Did the problems from the last section, where you had to use Riemann sums to evaluate areas, have you longed for a better way to do it? Well, have no fear, because the definite integral and its trusty sidekick, the fundamental theorem of calculus, are here to save the day. We have a definition, which is great, because it means we don't have to prove it, something that we define to be called the definite integral of f of x from a to b. The notation we use is a very stylized s. That's not a, uh, not a coincidence. We're going to go from a to b of f of x dx. And of course, that stylized s you've seen before with indefinite integrals. They didn't have these little a and b here, but otherwise, an indefinite integral you may recall, right? Well, we'll see how it's all connected very soon. But we're going to define the definite integral from a to b of f of x dx to be the limit as n goes to infinity of the sum from k equals 1 to n f of ck delta x. And of course, you'll recognize the part that you're taking the limit of. This is a Riemann sum. And we're taking the limit as n goes to infinity of that sum. And if f of x is positive, excuse me, non-negative on the interval from a to b, then this, this Riemann sum represents an area, doesn't it? So then our definite integral that we've defined would represent an area too. So what we need to do is we need to see how the Riemann sum being represented by this definite integral is going to help make our lives easier. We're going to need the trusty sidekick, the fundamental theorem of calculus. And in order to understand it, let's do some investigation. So we're going to investigate by finding the area of this region right here. I'm using f of x equals 4 and x equals 2 to x equals 5 to form my region. So this is my area that I want. Let's use geometry first. And we've done similar things in the last section. So I'd like you to go ahead and pause. Use geometry to get this area uh, from 2 to 5 of f of x equals 4, sorry, below f of x equals 4, or bounded by f of x equals 4 y equals 0, that's the x-axis, x equals 2, and x equals 5. So just use geometry on this uh, hint rectangle. And then also, go ahead and jump to using Riemann sums. You'll actually find them probably easier than some of the examples we did in the last section. And then after you've done that, come back and we'll talk about it. So using geometry, I'm just going to use the fact that this is a rectangle, so the area is length times width. And the length is actually, well, you can call it either one. doesn't really matter. I guess I'll use the, the length from 2 to 5. So 5 minus 2 is 3. And the height is 4. So the area should be 12. Now using Riemann sums to also see that we should get an area of 12, if I find out what my delta x is, remember delta x is the width of an nth rectangle, so it's b minus a over n, or 3 over n. And then my f of ck, because the height of any rectangle is the same, it's a constant 4, then the height is just 4. That makes it easy, doesn't it? So I'm going to take the limit as n goes to infinity of the sum from k equals 1 to n of 4 times 3 over n. So that's the sum of 12 over n. And um, I can take out the 12 over n, can't I? 
So I have the limit as n goes to infinity. Um, actually, it's probably easier to take out the 1 over n and to leave the 12. For some reason, I think it's easier to have something there rather than just 1. So I'm going to leave the 12 here, and I took the 1 over n out. And then when I evaluate, remember, the sum from 1 to n of a constant, that's n of these 12s added together. So it's 12n. So I'm just going to take the limit as n goes to infinity of 12n over n. And of course, the n's cancel, so that's the limit as n goes to infinity of 12. And since there are no more n's, that limit of a constant is just the constant 12 back again, which is what we got using geometry. So, you know, a quick little review of the Riemann sum just to show you that it fits together with the area using geometry. But something else I'd like to show you, kind of a neat trick, and it's going to lead us into this this savior, this thing that's going to help us evaluate these uh, areas, and then even more generally, the definite integral um, a lot more quickly. So I'd like you to actually look at the fact that we have f of x equals 4, and I'd like you to consider the antiderivative of that. And unfortunately, I need to make some space here. So if you didn't get that in your notes, make sure you go back. So f of x equals 4, what's the antiderivative, or sorry, an antiderivative of that? capital F of X, I can call it, right? And capital F of X, the thing that you differentiated to get 4, must have been 4X plus some constant, right? Well, ignoring the constant for a second, I'll show you why the constant won't come in, uh, won't affect us in this section so much. Ignoring that for a second, take F of B, F of 5, capital F of 5, minus capital F of 2 and tell me what you get. So pause for a second. Take the antiderivative without the C, or it doesn't really matter, leave the C in there actually, and take capital F of 5 minus capital F of 2 and tell me what you get. So if I do this, capital F of 5 is 4 times 5, which is 20, minus capital F of 2 is 4 times 2. Oh, but I said I'd leave the C in there, right? So there was plus a C in the first one and minus C from the second. So we have C minus C, which is 0. It would have been 20 plus C minus 8 minus C. I just put the C's at the end. I'll let you see that, no pun intended, that they add up to 0. So I have 4 times 5 is 20 minus 8. Lo and behold, we get 12 again. Now, that's certainly not a proof, and one example does not a proof make even even then. So I need to have a little more than just, oh, look, that's interesting happening, right? So let's look at another example, and then we're going to talk more generally about this fundamental theorem of calculus, which is going to save the day for us. So let's look at this next area. We have a triangular region formed by g of x equals just x. Now, I could have used, you know, 2x or 10x or whatever, but let's just use x to make the arithmetic easier. And then we're going to go from 2 to 6 this time. So I just want to point out it's not 2 to 5. I did that to make it a little easier to do the geometry. So going from 2 to 6, and we have this region here. So we're not including this little triangle right here. So pause for a second because it's a really good exercise to find out the area of this region using geometry. And remember... You can either use the formula for that thing that starts with T, a trapezoid, 
or you can take one area and subtract another. So if you want to do that, um, it's your choice, but definitely take a minute to figure out the area using geometry and then come back. If you want, actually, you can skip ahead and use Riemann at the same time. So coming back, using geometry, I'm going to just take the bigger triangle minus the smaller triangle. So the area of the big triangle, I guess I could call A sub B for big. And the area of any triangle is 1 half the base times the height. So I could actually just say area of a triangle, right? So I want the area of the big triangle. That's 1 half. The base is 6 minus 2. I did that intentionally so I wouldn't have to worry about, um, about fractions. So 6 minus 2 is 4. Taking half of 4 will be easy. It'll just give me 2. Now what's the height? Now the height of the triangle, because this is a right triangle, the height of the triangle is actually just whatever that y value is. And the y value comes from the fact that x equals 6 here and g of x is x back again. So what's the height of the triangle? It should just be x, right? Or 6. Now you could also call it the base, um, but I'm just going to call it the height. So the, the height is 6. And so when I take this area, half of 4 is 2. 2 times 6 is 12 again. All right, well, that's a coincidence, I guess. Let's see, did I do that right? Okay, but that's the big triangle, right? So that's not the region I want. So 12 is the big triangle, and I have to take the area of the small triangle, and then I'm going to subtract the 2 to get the area A that I'm looking for. So the area of the small triangle is also 1 half base times height. The base this time is 2 minus 0. And by the way, if you didn't get a chance to do this first part on your own, pause for a second and and at least get the smaller one and do the subtraction. So 1 half times the base. And then what's the height? Again, the height of the little triangle is just the y value right here when x is 2. Since I just picked the function g of x equals x back again, I didn't double x, I didn't triple x. I just say that the y value is the same as the x value, so the height is also 2. So I plug in 2 for my height as well. So I have half of 2 is 1 times 2 is 2. So the area of the small triangle here is 2. The area of the overall big triangle was 12. So the area that I want is the big one minus the small one, 12 minus 2, or 10. So this time the area I'm looking for is 10. That's using geometry. And you may guess very soon that we're going to have functions that we're going to find the area um, of regions bounded by functions that are not linear. And as soon as they're not linear anymore, then geometry becomes very difficult to use, if not impossible, depending on the region. So we need calculus, ultimately. Um, to figure out these areas. Just like in the last section, we resorted to using Riemann when we had things like f of x equals x squared, or we did some examples in the videos, f of x equals x cubed. So we're not going to be able to rely on geometry. If you want just an exercise in using Riemann, then we're going to go ahead and do that. And then we're going to cut to the chase and learn how this section is special. So using Riemann first, delta x, b minus a, over n. So this time delta x is 
4 over n instead of 3 over n from the last example. So delta x is 4 over n. And also this time, my f of ck. Now, what's f of ck? Well, it's the height of the rectangle, right? And what's ck? It's just some ck in here. Now, I have to decide, do I want to use left endpoints or right endpoints, don't I? Um, let's use right endpoints. So the right endpoint, um, let me start with C1, f of C1. The first right endpoint is 2 plus 4 over n, right? The second endpoint would be 2 plus 2 4 over n's. So, uh, oh, sorry, that's not f of, that's just C1. It will be f of that because turns out g, sorry, g of that, because g of x is just x. So anyway, you'll see when we get there. But c1 itself, the x value, is just the left endpoint plus 4 over n to, make, to be using the right endpoints. c2 is 2 plus 2 of them, right? So ck is 2 plus k of them. Uh, or 4k over n plus 2. F, or actually this time it's g of ck, because I just picked g of x equals x, g of ck just equals ck for this special example, which equals 2 plus 4k over n. Now, believe it or not, we don't have too much more to do. It's not going to be like that one with x cubed. So now I need to find the, the limit as n goes to infinity of the sum k equals 1 to n of f of c, sorry, g of ck, 2 plus 4k over n times delta x, which is another 4 over n. So I actually, I have to distribute, and I get the limit as n goes to infinity of the sum k equals 1 to n, I'm not going to write it this time, 8 over n plus 16k over n. Now, I actually, I can fact, I'm oh, sorry, n squared. I keep doing that lately. It's 16k over n squared because I had n times n in the denominator. Now, the sum of 8 over n, you may recall, is just 8n over n. So I'm going to say the limit as n goes to infinity. I'm going to need more space. Underneath here, limit as n goes to infinity, 8 over n in a sum from k equals 1 to n is just 8n over n, which is going to be 8, plus 16k over n squared. I can write the 16 over n squared because that's like a constant when I'm just looking at the sum uh, from k equals 1 to n of something. And then the sum of k from k equals 1 to n, that's the Gauss formula again, right? Adding up 1 to n. So that's n times n plus 1 over 2. So when we simplify this, you'll notice that the limit as n goes to infinity allows these two n squareds to cancel, right? The leading terms will be, or dominant terms, either one, will be 16n squared over 2n squared. So that'll reduce down to 16n squared over 2n squared being 8. So we'll have 8 plus 8, which is 
16. So I've made a mistake. And you know what? I think I actually, did I make this mistake last time too when I was doing this in my notes? I don't know. I thought I did actually, and I thought I fixed it. So let me see. It should be, it should be 16, definitely. And it's funny, when I did this the first time, writing this down in my notes, I I did the same thing. I got 16, even though I got a different answer here. So for some reason, I have trouble with the geometry on this one. So let me go back to my geometry. The area of the triangle is one half base times height. I know what I did wrong. Can you see what I did? When I found the base, I took the base being from two to six, but the entire triangle goes from zero to six. So I really, instead of having a four here, this is wrong. If you go back to your area of the big triangle, it's not one half times four times six. That would be if I just used the trapezoid. It's one half times six times six. And that's half of 36, which is 18. And for some reason, I I didn't remember my answer being 10, but I didn't check my notes before moving on. 18 minus two is 16, just as I got from my Riemann sum. So the Riemann sums aren't so bad, right? They helped me catch my mistake that I made twice, once in my notes and then here again live on on screen. So anyway, um, I would prefer that my geometry be better, but I wasn't paying attention to the fact that my entire big triangle goes all the way from zero to six from my base. The height also is zero to six. And if I'd been thinking, I would have seen that I just have half of a rectangle, don't I? The rectangle is a six by six rectangle. Six by six is 36 square units in area. Half of that is the triangle. That's kind of where the formula comes from, at least with right triangles it is. So half of a rectangle is is half of 36, which is 18. So I should have taken 18 minus two, which gives me 16. But I caught it, believe it or not, using this crazy thing called the Riemann sum. So I hope I haven't thoroughly lost you. Um, I hope you can see that we all need to, it, it helps to do things two different ways to check and make sure that you um, made the correct assumptions when you're doing a problem. So now I'm very confident that my area that I'm looking for is 16. However, there's a much faster way to do this and you might also be saying, this is nothing new, right? All right, so 16 is the answer we're looking for. I'm gonna erase all of this and ask you to consider the function g of x equals x. G of x equals x. What's the an antiderivative of that? We'll call it capital G of x, an antiderivative of x. What did you differentiate to get x? What did you differentiate with respect to x and get x, to be a little more specific? The derivative of x squared over 2 is equal to x, right? If you differentiate this, you get x. So an antiderivative of g of x equals x is capital G of x equals x squared over 2. Now, if you want to talk about any antiderivative, then you would say plus c. Okay, so we're going to investigate capital G of 6 minus capital G of 2. And if you're wondering why I'm picking these, it's capital G of b minus capital G of a. So what's capital G of 6? It's just like any function of 6. You take the capital G function and you plug 6 in. So 6 squared is 36. 
There's that 36 again, divided by 2, right? Half of the area of the rectangle. Almost as if I planned it. Wish I could say I did. So I have 36 over 2 plus C. When I subtract G of 2, I take 2 squared over 2. 4 over 2, that's the smaller triangle, isn't it? Plus C. So I have equals 18 plus C minus 2 minus C. So the C and the minus C add up to 0. And guess what? Same thing we got using geometry and the Riemann sum. But you can really see the geometry here. Half of a rectangle's area minus half of the other rectangle's area. 18 minus 2 is 16. So that suggests that perhaps if we want to find an area between a function and this x-axis here, y equals 0, from a to b, then maybe all we need to do is find the antiderivative and plug in b and subtract that same antiderivative at a, and we get the area. Now, obviously, this is for non-negative functions, right? We've only done this example for functions that are either at the x-axis or above the x-axis. So we're going to generalize um, in examples coming up. It actually, if you're talking about area, then you need to be talking about a non-negative function. But if you're talking about something called the definite integral, then you can actually still do this. This result is called the Fundamental Theorem of Calculus. It's proven in the book at the end of the section. I'm not going to take the time to prove it here, because my guess is that you really won't need the proof, in uh, at least in this class. So what we get to do, given any definite integral, which remember sometimes might represent an area, given any definite integral from a to b of small f of x dx, if you have capital F of x, which is an antiderivative of little f of x, just like we did with capital G of x in the last example and capital, capital F of x in the first example, the integral from a to b of little f of x dx is the antiderivative at b minus the antiderivative at a. And when I say the antiderivative, it's really any antiderivative because the c minus the c add up to 0. So this is the fundamental theorem of calculus. It's really a beautiful result, not only because its proof is quite uh, elegant, but even more beautiful for our pragmatic purposes. It helps us to evaluate areas in a much simpler way. So let's move on to using the fundamental theorem of calculus in um, evaluating some definite integrals. And sometimes along the way, we'll be evaluating areas as well.